Welcome to episode 180 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Cheryl Moore Tucker. Cheryl has taken her experience from serving in the military to start her own business focused on yoga and meditation. When Cheryl left the military, she was struggling with some medical issues and was told about how yoga could help her. Since then, she has continued to learn about yoga and meditation, and today she helps as a mind-body practitioner with over 10 years of experience in the wellness space. She served in the Army for five years, and she shared her experience of what it was like to serve in the Army and how she took that to start her business. So let's get started after a brief word from our sponsor, Savio Coding Bootcamp. Savio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Savio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Wow, there that's a loaded question. So many reasons why, but I would say the main reason that I joined the military was to assist with my education. When I came into the military, I had a significant amount of student loans and I didn't want to continue down that path. So I decided to join at the time for the Montgomery GI Bill. And so how many years had you been going to school before you said, uh, this is getting really expensive. I think I would need to find a new path. Yeah, probably about two years. So when I graduated from high school, I graduated high school in Augusta, Georgia in 93. So you can do the math and maybe figure out how old I am. But at that time, that was the first year that Georgia implemented the lottery. And so I was one of, you know, many that were lucky enough that if you graduated with at least a B average, you received tuition assistance or full tuition to go to a state school in the state of Georgia. And so that worked for a while. However, there are other expenses when it comes to going to college. And so I continued to go to college and the expenses begin to add up in addition to the assistance that I had through the lottery. And I just didn't want to continue to accumulate those expenses. Yeah, I did an interview a few weeks ago and she was talking about how she had the Montgomery GI Bill and like that paid for tuition, but then she had to work full time to pay to support herself. And you mentioned that you went in under the Montgomery GI Bill. Did you stay in long enough to get the post 9-11 GI Bill? I did not, but I went to school at night while I was on active duty. So I was able to complete my undergraduate degree while I was still active duty. And that was possible for a number of reasons, some great uh, NCOs and leaders that supported me. But I came into the military with about two years of my undergrad already underneath my belt. So you were able to use the tuition assistance while you were on active duty and get your degree. So now let's go back to the beginning. You joined the military What career field did you pick and what was the process to join? Right. So I'm not sure what the MOS is now, but at the time when I enlisted and was 1998, 
and it was 93 Papa Aviation Operations Specialist. And what does an aviation operations specialist do? Well, it's interesting because typically I have a, a, a roommate that she had my same MOS and she spent a lot of time in flight ops. So lots of basically uh, shift work, which can make it hard to go to school. So that's part of it. That's 24 hours being able to be in the operational side. And then there is a training side. At the time, it was called S3. And that's where I served primarily in training. So I was in an office and assisted with operations from a training standpoint, those that were coming in for flight ops training, worked with those instructors, worked with grades, and worked with testing. So there's an operational side where you're kind of working crazy hours and shift work where it changes. And so, and then there's the training side, which is more flexible nine to five and makes it easier to go to school. Absolutely. And I was blessed to be in the training side. And was that your choice or was it just how it ended up? It just kind of ended up that way. I could have very easily have been in flight ops. And I have a girlfriend that was just as passionate about going to school and she tried several times. Eventually, I believe she did finish. But while on active duty, it was really, really hard because it was shift work. Yeah, that is one of the hard parts about the military when you're doing that shift work and your schedule is changing, you're working lots of hours and it makes it really hard. So what was basic training like when you went? Wow, basic training. You know, I have such fond memories of the military. You hear military stories from various generations. And I can say going in in 98, I had a great experience. My basic training was in South Carolina. And I just remember going in one way and coming out another, meaning that I felt more confident. I felt stronger. I did things that I never thought that I can do. So when I graduated, I was very confident, feeling really good physically, mentally, and spiritually, and was ready to to move forward with active duty. That's awesome. That's great that you had such a positive experience and that you gained that confidence. So you graduated basic training, and then did you head off to your tech school? They call, call it AIT, right? Yes, AIT. And I went to home of aviation, Fort Rucker, Alabama. I had never been to Alabama before. It was definitely a different experience. Although I grew up in the South and Augusta, Georgia, uh, Alabama was a little bit different, but I continued to forge relationships with people that I met. Some people that I was in basic training with, we met up again in AIT. And I was there for a few months before going to my first duty assignment, which happened to be, at the time, Yongsong, Korea. And it's my understanding that joint base is no more, (laughs) as I've kind of done some research. So I finished AIT and I went to another country. And if Alabama was different, what was South Korea like? (laughs) Very, very different. But I had so much fun there. Like I said, you know, when I look back at my military career, of course, I could definitely focus on, you know, the difficult times. It it wasn't a cakewalk. But when I look back, I try to remember those things that have made me into the person that I am. I learned about camaraderie and teamwork and basic training. You know, you hear those stories of you have a battle buddy. I don't know if they still use that term 
feel like I'm dating myself. But, you know, I can remember having to do push-ups, you know, for my battle buddy if she was late, if I was late, learning how to work together, doing different tests together, different drills. And what I got from the entire experience, uh, whether I had some bad days or good days, was you can't do anything alone. You need other people's help. And so I was able to really develop being more so of an introvert, which I still am, but really understanding the power of teamwork and ha- and truly having someone's back and someone truly having your back. I learned that in basic training. It was further enhanced in AIT and it came to full manifestation, my first deployment to Seoul, Korea. Yeah, I, the military has their hard moments, but I have a similar way of looking back of like trying to remember the good things and the things that I gained from my experience because there's so much positive things that really helped me in my career today and and changed me. And I'm also an introvert. I'm like an introvert extrovert. I told I just went on a girls weekend and I just like listened mainly and like observed and I was like, it was so filling. I don't actually want to be alone as an introvert. I just don't want to have to have any pressure on me to do it. Yes. I feel the same way. It was really fun. But I love what you said about how the military teaches you like you can't do it on your own. And I think that the military puts you in situations where you realize you can't do it on your own and that forces you to ask for help and then learn that it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. I can remember one of the first assignments I had when I deployed to Seoul, Korea. I worked in a S3 shop and I worked for a sergeant major. And one of the first assignments was you have to, I served as a sergeant major's driver. And it wasn't a regular car. <laughs> it was like I had to learn how to, you know, drive a five ton and, you know, a Hummer. And it was like, how am I going to learn this? And she was like, you'll figure it out. And so that, like you mentioned, it causes you to, you know, tap someone's shoulder. Hey, can you show me how to do this? And you spend all this time down at the motor pool and you're driving and you're doing things that you never thought you'd do, but you're able to do it because of teamwork. So true. That's funny you bring up the cars because we had to, at my tech school, everyone had to drive like a semi truck and like all, and then like we had to drive stick shift, which I actually knew how to do, which was easy, but it was really fun to watch the people that had never driven stick. And, and we all worked together to help each other with like the things that we knew how to do and then the other things. Yeah, I definitely needed help packing up the semi truck. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, I mean, you were pretty young because you had only gone to school for two years. And what was it like? in a foreign country and just experience a whole new culture at such a young age? Yeah, I was probably like 23, 22. It was my first time being outside of the country. So I experienced my out-of-country experiences started with the military. Prior to that, I had never traveled outside of the country. And it was it was great. I felt protected. At the time, Yongsan was a joint base. It was huge. You know, there were other people there. So there are lots of civilians. There are lots of people from other branches of service. And I got a chance to, you know, learn a little bit of Korean language. I got a chance to learn about the customs and the traditions there. And I really just welcomed all of the new experiences as someone that was young who had never, 
you know, really been out of the country before. And it was really a great experience to be able to be there with other people that were serving alongside you and you all were embracing this new experience together. That's what I remember. And a smile really does come to my face in having my first tea in Korea, going to a tea, official tea ceremony, wearing some of the traditional clothes that they had. I just learned a lot about the culture, a deep appreciation for it. And also um, the humility that comes with being in a, in a foreign country where you don't know the language and you have to kind of depend on other people. And people are so gracious with you and patient with you. That was very humbling. And that's an experience I will definitely never forget. Yeah, it sounds like a life-changing experience. And it's so cool that you got to experience so much of the culture. Tea, that's it. I'm just like, ooh, take me there. I want to. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I got a chance to, you know, there were different things we would do on base, but going to church and, and different ceremonies off base right outside the gate was the heart of, you know, Seoul, Korea. So it was really likened to New York City, but you don't speak the language. So it was my first time getting on a subway. Uh, being in Seoul, Korea is my first time experiencing different types of weather, monsoon season, where you're literally in your rain boots and rain gear for like two months at a time. I mean, just something I had never experienced before. And being able to make it through that, um, going through situations where you're homesick, you miss home, don't like all the rain, but still being able to, to press through it was really a great experience. Yeah, and 9899 there wasn't a lot of like the internet was kind of the thing but not really a th- not really but I remember uh, starting my first account maybe AOL while I was in Korea at that time and then when I returned I returned in like maybe 2000 I got my first cell phone so yeah it was it was the beginning of the internet and kind of like cell phones. So how were you able to communicate with your family back home? Was it through letters or like phone calls that were like special or how did that all work? Yeah, we had, uh, I lived in the barracks at the time. And so we had a central phone out in the hallway that everybody scrambled for. And you would buy phone cards, you would buy minutes. So you would use, you know, you would purchase minutes. And that's how I kept in contact with my parents. I did write letters uh, when I was in Korea. And then there came a time, I believe I started using email while I was in Korea. So I would send some emails once my mom kind of understood how that worked. But primarily it was phone calls and letters. Very different now from what I understand, because I think now a lot of people even active duty have WhatsApp, you have cell phones. So, but we were pretty much, you know, we had a a hallway full of people in the barracks and you had one phone, just one phone. Yeah, when I was deployed, it was 2010, and they had the MWR computers, and there were like five or ten computers, and that's where we like Skype with our family. And now people have cell phones, and they FaceTime in their room because there's Wi-Fi. Exactly. Isn't that something? Yeah. So it's really interesting to hear because the progression of technology has really changed how military families communicate, and it was so different and it's not that long ago it's like yeah you know it's just a few years ago but apparently it's more than a few yeah time flies time definitely flies and you know being in another country of course you know there's some at that time it was just a few news outlets just a few channels and 
talking to my mom over the phone, she would keep me up to speed, kind of what was going on in the United States. But it's almost like a time gap. Like I can distinctly remember things that happened in the United States I wasn't here for. I was literally in another country and whether I found out about it a few days after it happened or maybe a few weeks later, it's almost like you're kind of off in your own world. And what I found that was helpful for me was to immerse myself in where I was versus being sad and depressed about where I'm not. So I, in order to stay safe and to stay focused, I did not necessarily think about the United States a whole lot. I focused on where I was and I immersed myself in where I was so that I could be fully present. That's really good advice. And like, that's one of the harder parts of like being the technology is great because it keeps you so connected, but it also makes it really hard for you to focus on like where you are and what you're doing and not because you don't miss out on things that happen the same way because everything's in the palm of your hand and it's really changed a lot. But that's really good advice. Like when you're overseas, living overseas to like focus on where you're at and make the most of it and try and find the balance between staying connected, but also enjoying where you are. Exactly. So you were there for about a year and then, is that right? Or how long were you over there? No, I was there for a year at that time. Deployments to Korea was for a year. And if you were married and had a family, you served two years or more. I enjoyed myself so much and I met my, you know, now husband there, whereas I would be leaving. He was still there. So I asked to be extended so I could be there with him a little bit longer. But not to mention, I really enjoyed Korea. So I was there for two years. Wow. And so how did you meet your husband? That sounds like such a crazy adventure. It is so crazy. So I mentioned before that Yongsan was joint base. So you had other branches of service there. Uh, my husband is retired Navy. So there was a huge Navy presence there. And we met, I believe, like, you know, just on base, kind of just walking. I didn't have a car. Lots of people at that time didn't have cars. So you would kind of walk everywhere. You would, you know, walk to different places to get something to eat, to go to the shop at. And in passing, you know, we met and then we met again and we were out in Seoul in the city kind of shopping, which is what a lot of people were doing during that time, getting your meat blankets and your tea sets and all this stuff, gifting your family, gifting yourself so that you can have the memories. And so that's kind of how we met literally on this, the streets of Korea. It's pretty interesting. But yeah, we kept in contact and he later retired and we got married. Wait, you got married when you were in Korea or you just- No, no, once we left. <laughs> so you just asked to extend for a year because you met him and you wanted to hang out and, and then you stay connected. Yeah, we did. So after two years in Korea, you came back to the U.S. What was that transition like? And were you still in the army or did you get out? Now, I was still in the army and it was mind blowing. It's like you're in another country for two years. And during that two year time period, I did go, I did visit home. So I returned to the U.S. for 30 days, which is typically what you get. So I was home for a month and I went right back and served another year. And so when I came back, I was, I came right, right back to AIT. So I was stationed in Alabama back at home at Fort Rucker for the duration. And that's where I separated. And it was very different. I can remember saying to myself, wow, for two years, 
I was in another country and then being back in the United States, it was like this time two weeks ago, I was doing this, but now I'm here. It was almost like time travel. Not to mention the time difference that, you know, you kind of go through, you know, connecting with family and friends. I believe when I was in Korea, we were ahead a few hours or a day, almost a whole day ahead, I believe. Um, So it was uh, it was definitely an adjustment. But I believe what made it easier was that I was coming back to where I had already been. So I was at AIT at Fort Rucker for a few months and then I, I reported back 17th Aviation Brigade. That's really interesting to hear about even the like, oh, two weeks ago I was here and now I'm here. And it's just kind of like an out of body experience. It is indeed. So how much longer did you stay in the military after that? Yeah. So I got back in 2000 and I separated uh, 2003. So you got home in 2000 and then in 2001, September 11th happened. Yes. I remember that day very vividly. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about like what your experience was like in the military before that day and obviously talk about that day, but like what was the experience like leading up to September 11th? Obviously no one knew what was coming, but I've heard from people that the army changed and I love talking about what the differences were and how you saw that change. Yeah, so Fort Rucker at the time before 9/11 was kind of like one of those safe spaces, if you will, meaning that this was, if you were stationed at Fort Rucker, you probably weren't going to deploy. It was a great place for families to be. Everything was pretty kind of like a slow, steady pace. And then after 9-11 is when that changed and people knew kind of regardless of what it had been before that people were going to definitely start deploying everything became heightened and more activated, regardless if you were at, you know, somewhere like Fort Bragg, where it's always deployments going on, or Fort Rucker and other bases were all deploying. And so it was just like a matter of time. And it was like, wow, this is what you've been training for. This is we're going to war. That's the first thing that came to mind. I'm probably getting ready to deploy. Is that what you thought when you saw the planes hit the towers or did it happen like over a course of days? I can tell you, I was getting ready for work. I was in my room and because, you know, Fort Rucker Home of Aviation, I have an aviation background. I can remember vividly watching the Today Show and I said, wow, that plane is really low. Why is that plane flying so low? And when it hit and then when I heard later on that it hit the Pentagon, I said, we're going to war. So it was pretty immediate. Yeah. So what was the rest of the day like? I mean, you said that you were getting ready for work and then you guys hear all the reports of everything that's happening. And if you knew that you were going to go to war, like it seemed like everyone in the office would have that same type of feeling. So what was that day like? That day was pretty somber, just trying to get to radio and TVs to find out what was being said, you know, by our president, making sure, you know, that we all were okay. It was pretty frantic, you know, with people that had family members in the D.C. area, New York, people trying to find out if their family members, their friends were okay. Lots of, uh, at the time, my husband, uh, at the time, boyfriend, Right before he retired, he was stationed at the Pentagon. So I was trying to get a hold of him. I had a cell phone at the time and I wasn't able to make any contact with him that day. So I was not in a good state. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know if he was dead or alive. 
Yeah, that would be really hard. And I heard that like the cell phones, um, they like block channels or they got overwhelmed. And so I've heard stories of like how hard it was to get connected with people. And you're in Alabama and he's at the Pentagon. That must have been so hard. So when were you finally able to connect with him and find out that he was okay? It was probably like later on that night, that next day, because cell phones, I mean, everything was jammed, the Wi-Fi, the the connections, nothing was going through. It was constant, busy signals. And so we finally talked and he told me he was okay. There was a lot going on on his end where I live now in the DC metro area. And so I tried to I just wanted to know if he was okay. And once I found out he was okay, I let him kind of, you know, do his thing. But it was pretty frantic. Even being in Alabama, you're still connected with so many people, regardless of my husband. But I knew people that were stationed in different places. And you're wondering, are they okay? A pretty grim day. Yeah. And it's before Facebook had the check-in, like I am safe and you could like check in and see. It's just interesting how much this is like showing like how much technology has changed and how, how hard it was to like be disconnected and how we didn't know. I was not in the military or connected to the military. I didn't know anyone across the country. So it was just a very different experience, but it's interesting to hear how connected and disconnected you guys were in the military. Right. And you said that it was only a matter of time before you knew you guys would deploy. Did you end up deploying? I did not. I did not end up deploying, but there were others who did that were stationed at Fort Rucker. During that time, this is in 2001, my only brother, uh, we're seven years apart, he decided to go into the military during that time. And he's like one of my biggest heroes because he didn't have to do that. I was getting ready to separate, you know, from the army and he was going in. So that was at top of mind for me. He stayed in, he enlisted in the Air Force and served almost 10 years or so. He had gone through lots of deployments as a medic. So there was a lot going on personally for me and my family, wondering if I was going to be deployed. My mom wondering, I have another child going in. And I have one that's coming out, but she may be deployed. So it was just a lot of emotions around that time. We had never been through anything like this before. And I think if you were active duty that time, we all knew how serious this was. This was a war on our country. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was like a patriotic response from people. But like me, I joined because of September 11th. But I didn't really understand seriousness and what it all meant. It was kind of like I got wrapped up in the emotion and the patriotism and not like the realities of what it meant until I was in. And then and then I understood, especially when I went to Afghanistan. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And, you know, even someone like me, when I say that my reason for going in was, you know, for the Montgomery GI Bill. However, you know, once you go through basic training and you're properly trained, Had I deployed, I would not have had an issue with being deployed because although I came in for one reason, ultimately we are here to protect and to serve our country. And so I took the oath that I made very seriously. And I knew that although I had been in places where I worked in an S3 shop and training and as much as it was like a nine to five job, it was not. So you said you got out of the military. Was this after your initial contract? Yes. Why did you decide to get out instead of re-enlist? 
Oh, that is so interesting. My husband and I, we had this conversation uh, recently. You know, I was always very focused on my education, you know, regardless of, you know, where I was or where I was deployed. I was so blessed to have amazing leaders and NCOs that knew that this is what I wanted and they wanted to support me. So I finished the bulk of my undergrad degree when I was at Fort Rucker, the last place where I was assigned. I made sure that I was making the right decision, although I knew that when I came in that this was not going to be a career. I was very clear on that throughout the five years that I served, but I still gave myself an edge by retesting for the ASVAB. There were some warrant officers that I knew that really wanted me to become a warrant officer. And so I just, I took the ASVAB again. I put myself in the best place possible that if I did want to re-enlist, that it would probably, I would probably be going to warrant officer candidate school, or I would be, you know, staying in and maybe move into a different type of MOS. However, when I was active duty, I completed my undergrad degree maybe a few months before I got out, and I knew that I wanted to pursue my master's degree. And I realized even though I was in typical kind of nine to five jobs in the military, I knew that that was not the norm and that in order to really finish my master's degree that I would probably have to separate. And so that's ultimately what I chose. And From the time that I separated within six months, I was uh, in a master's degree program as a civilian. And you were able to use your Montgomery GI Bill? Yes. That's awesome. What was that transition like? Did you have a pretty seamless transition or did you face any challenges? You know... I have some uh, veteran friends and we talk about this and they're in different branches of service, but I have to hats off to Fort Rucker. I went through what what was at the time called an ACAT program where you transition out and it was seamless. I mean, the training was great. There were some health elements that I had and I think it was the Veterans of Foreign War, VFW, They had representatives came there and showed all of us how to put in disability claims. They talked to us about our benefits as, you know, we separated from active duty and became veterans. We learned about the Veterans Administration. And so I felt like when I left that I was still part of the military, now a veteran, and that I there were all these different benefits and things that I was aware of that I wasn't really aware of on active duty. And so, as I mentioned, when I got out within six months, I was in school. So I was going to school and I was working part-time for a bit. And then I began to start working full-time. And I think the thing that I missed in the beginning that is at the forefront of my mind was the camaraderie. It was very different being a civilian, In the beginning, it felt like everyone was kind of out for self. And I just missed that camaraderie that we all are wearing the same uniform. We're all very different. But when when it comes down to it, we all have each other's back. And so there was a grieving period that I went through for probably about two years, even though I was happy that I was out and I was happy to be in school and not wearing the uniform. There were components about it that I still miss to this day. And I sometimes wonder during my times of meditation, what my life may have been like had I decided to make the military a true career and retire. And uh, I think that everything happens for a reason. And so that was a choice that I did not make. And I don't regret anything. I'm so grateful for the five years that I served this country. And I'm so grateful for the people that I've met 
when I separate it and the people that I'm still in contact that are just now retiring. Like I've, I remember being in AIT with people and a few years ago, someone reached out to me and they're just retiring. And I'm like, wow, they've been in the army all this time that I've been a civilian. And so it just makes you realize just how important time is and how you can make a decision that can change the trajectory of your life. My friend that reached out, she retired as a sergeant major. And so she was reaching out to talk to me about technology and how it is in the civilian world. And it was just such a great conversation that we met at a point where we were so young and then her had took her one direction in mind to let me somewhere else. But it is the journey of a lifetime. Those times that I served in the military are years that really shaped who I am today. Yeah. And speaking of today, let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing today. I served my country, DOD, Department of Defense. And so when I got out of the military and I got out with the clearance at that time, at that point in time, it was like a natural progression to continue to work for the government. So I moved to DC at the time my boyfriend was here. And I started working for the federal government. I applied and got a job in an area that I felt I had some experience in. Since I came from an S3 shop and I worked in training, I got my master's degree in human resources administration and became a human resources specialist in the federal government. And I just celebrated 20 years in the federal government last year, which also includes my active duty time as well. So I still support the government just in a different capacity. Yeah. And it's so important. I mean, the military couldn't operate. DOD couldn't operate with all the civilians. And so they play a critical role. Yeah. So so with that, um, you know, I mentioned that I had, you know, some health challenges while I was in the military and that experience led me into the wellness space. So being able to uh, serve my community as a certified yoga meditation teacher, especially for those that may be dealing with health challenges related to active duty, whether it's PTSD or just chronic illnesses. I'm able to also serve in that regard as well. And it's been the ride of a lifetime. You know, I have happy moments about the military, but I do have, you know, different health challenges that came about because of just the amount of stress and tension that you place on your mind as well as your body. But I believe that that was just part of my calling and my purpose to be able to go through that and to be able to have uh, compassion for those that are also dealing with those things as well. Yeah, I found meditation maybe two years ago, and it's been really helpful in my mental health journey, dealing with trauma from my deployment. And I meditate almost every night before I go to bed. um, And it really helps me to relax and to sleep really well. And so that's great. I'm 100% pro meditation. What exactly do you do as a yoga and meditation? You say coach? Teacher. Yeah. So before the pandemic, I, you know, I would teach at different yoga studios, meditation centers. And since the pandemic, actually, actually before I began to go online in 2019 and now is, you know, all virtual. I have a YouTube channel where I share a lot of information about different ways that yoga and meditation can be used to help those that deal with chronic pain. I also offer weekly classes and work with people one-on-one and in small groups and And just spread the word about how these mindfulness tools can help with life. Uh, Whether you were in the military or not, life happens. 
And so uh, these tools have been very beneficial for me when I was uh, stationed at Fort Rucker preparing to separate. Actually, my military doctor recommended that I try yoga. And so there was free classes being offered that I would attend at Fort Rucker. And so that was my introduction to yoga, having those um, classes right there on base. And it was it was great. It has totally shaped my life. That's awesome. So I'll put a link to your YouTube channel and all your social media so that people can find it. And I'm going to go check it out. I hurt my back a couple weeks ago. And so I've been doing a lot more yoga. So I okay. I went to a chiropractor, so I feel a lot better. But yoga has been really helpful and healing as well. Awesome. So my last question is, what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering military service? Oh, wow. I've been able to, you know, give my advice and guidance to people that have reached out to me and some things that I wish that I had known, like really take some time to think about your job choice. You know, when you when you take the ASVAB or if they have additional tests now, I'm not sure. You know, don't just pick the first thing, whether you just want to hurry up and get in there or, you know, whatever your time period is, take your time with the type of job that you choose, because that is the foundation for you building your skills for if you decide to separate, you know, that's going to make you more marketable as a civilian, or you choose a career that will totally help you as you progress in your career and your ranking in the military. So definitely don't take it lightly. It's not just a job. There's some great opportunities in the military. And I just think that people would be mindful just to really think about whatever their score is, what jobs are available, and what am I already good at that could enhance, you know, this this experience. I would also um, recommend to people that are considering going in to really take advantage, if you can, of the educational benefits that are available while you're serving active duty. And, you know, if you separate, I believe now, don't quote me, but for those that didn't use the Montgomery GI Bill, there's an opportunity to pass it on to their family members or their children, which is great. My husband was one of those people that didn't use it. So, you know, there's so many new opportunities with education in the military. And just make sure that you're educated on the real reason that you're going in, whether it be for to make it a career or to make it a foundation that you will use to continue in your education and your career. Ultimately, we're all there to serve and to protect uh, the United States, but there are some great benefits that people should always have at the forefront of their mind. I meet so many people that separate from the military and they don't have a plan. They kind of weren't focused while they were in and they end up just kind of getting out and, oh, I wish I had gone to school or I wish I had done this or I wish I had this opportunity. So it's it's most important is as much as you can to stay focused and consider your goals while you're in and consider your goals once you separate. That's such great advice. I think when you're joining the military, you're so young, it's hard to think about all those things, but those things are so important. Really good advice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for doing this interview. I'm so excited that we got to connect and hear your story. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Amanda. It was great reliving these moments with you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If this is your first time listening to Women of the Military podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast. There are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in. 
joining, serving, leaving the military, or just learning about the women who have served in the military. If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash women of the military. And if you enjoyed Women of the Military podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service.